This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Pipeline Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with MLB Pipelines, Jonathan Mayo, and Jim Callis. The top 200 draft prospects list is out on MLB Pipeline. Check it out. We're going to talk about that, the full list. We're also going to focus in on some of the best tools as we get closer and closer to the draft. As we record this, guys, 10 days to go, which means... You guys don't get to sleep anymore, I don't think, for the next 10 days. But we'll talk about the draft a lot. Before we get to that, though, some high-profile big league debuts this week. And we're going to start with Juan Soto. Uh, So far, 3-for-10 in a few games. But the big home run in his first at-bat of his first start for the Nationals. Um, 19 years old. He's up in the big leagues. It's, It's quite a story as far as how quickly this has happened. Jonathan, it it seems like the way he's kind of risen through the minor leagues, it almost makes what Acuna did look methodical. Right, seriously, they took their time. Uh, That was a slow developmental process. (laughs) And uh, I'm glad I made it to to Harrisburg, uh, you know, not long ago to to talk to Soto. Uh, You know, I I didn't think he was going to be there, you know, for the entirety of the season, but I I didn't think that he was going to be gone so quickly and uh, even he you know had was surprised how quickly he got to Harrisburg uh, he wanted to get to Potomac quickly because that's where he wanted to start the season uh, instead the team started him back in Hagerstown just to let him get his feet under him but it was you know 15 games there 16 games in Potomac then he's in Harrisburg for a handful of games and suddenly he's in the big leagues and uh, you know he's not going to be Oh, you know, in over his head. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what what happens. Uh, but he has such a good approach at the plate, even in even that home run. You know, and yes, it was the first pitch he saw. But I mean, how many times have you seen a young left-handed hitter on the first pitch he sees go the opposite field out of the park? I mean, it's kind of insane, and I think it speaks to his, his general approach to to hitting, facing a left-hander. Uh, you know, letting the ball travel deep, not, you know, not swinging out of his shoes. Uh, but he, he is a special hitter. And, uh, you know, I think he showed a glimpse of what he's going to be able to do for a very long time in the big leagues. Years from now, people in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, will be remembering the one week Juan Soto spent as part of the <laughs> Senators roster. Uh, really amazing. Uh, Jim, what do you think we're going to see from him the rest of the way? Because obviously he got there quick and he showed the flash, but there's going to be adjustments and, and all of that stuff for a, a, just a 19-year-old. Yeah, I'm not, I don't think he's necessarily going to hit 300 and homer every third start, but but the, the on the positive side, as Jonathan said, his approach is so good. I mean, he's he's already drawn three walks and three starts. He, he doesn't look like he's overwhelmed. I mean, this was a team that 
you know, they've been getting some production out of Matt Adams in left field, although I don't really think you want Matt Adams running around left field. Um, and Michael Taylor's had a really brutal year in center, and they, they've had some injuries. Um, so I, I think he's going to get the chance to play, and I think he continue to produce. Uh, you know, this is a guy who who is supposed to be one of the best offensive players in that 2015 international class, and he's hit you know, everywhere he's gone. He was Gulf Coast League MVP in his debut in 2016. And, you know, kind of, you mentioned Acuna. I mean, it was kind of like Acuna, you know, when he was supposed to make his full season debut, he lost most of the year to injuries and still hit 360 in the limited time he was able to play. And and then this year he's hit two. So I don't think, I don't think there's any reason he can't, you know, let's say if we made him an everyday player for the rest of the season, like I could see him hitting, you know, 270 with double digit home runs. Uh, do that, you know, in a respectable amount of walks. Uh, I, I don't think he's going to be overmatched at all. For Nationals fans who are kind of bracing for the fact that Bryce Harper might not be on the roster next season, that kind of takes the edge off of that, I think, as well. Like, yes, we're losing the greatest superstar we've had in this franchise's history, but there's this young kid on the way, and, and maybe he can be special as well. So Soto's up. What about Vlad Jr.? It seems like he's the guy we thought would get there first, and Soto kind of beat him to the punch. But it it seems like it has to be coming soon, Jonathan. I mean, you're starting to see signs in Toronto in the stands from fans saying, we want Vlad Jr. I mean, how much longer do you think the Blue Jays can wait? It's a a good question. Uh, When I talked to uh, the hitting coach in New Hampshire – uh, you know, uh, you know, and, and just asked in general, like, do you have any doubts about his ability to, to compete at the big league level? And he didn't even hesitate uh, to to answer that he had no doubts. And, and this was, you know, a couple weeks ago. So <laughs> he's just continued to hit and hit some more. Uh, there's no reason for him to be in Double A right now, um, because it's it's just kind of silly. Again, it's, you know, unbelievable approach he doesn't strike out he draws walks everything he hits is hard he doesn't try to do too much he stays with his game plan um you know far belies his his years uh you know he you know he can use the grew up around the game reason you know Juan Soto just I think was born that way but uh uh you know if they want to give, if the Blue Jays want to give Blue Jays fans something to be excited about in a season that's not gone so well, they should bring him up. Now, the, the obvious issue is where you would play him, um, but I think you know, there will come a time where they're going to have to figure out a way to make room for him, and, and it should be sooner rather than later. You would think there will come a time when Josh Donaldson could possibly be traded here if they if they do become sellers as well, but that's a little bit down the road. Jim, the numbers just don't drop off. I mean, right now, as we record this, 425, eight homers, 45 RBIs in 41 games. I mean, for him at that level, I would think at some point he has to find different ways to, I mean, it's weird to even say, but to keep challenging himself because it seems like it's coming so easy at double A. It does. I mean, he's also got more walks and more extra base hits and strikeouts. And, you know, I I think with him, the one argument you could make for keeping him in the minors, and and I don't know if there's a big difference between double-A and triple-A, is he does need to work on his defense. And I think that's what the tricky spot is about calling him up. Like, I think he's even more ready to hit than Juan Soto is. Like, I I don't have any doubt that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. would have no problems 
in the big leagues. But as long as Josh Donaldson there is there, I, I don't I don't think you can call up Vlad and I don't think you want to DH a 19-year-old. I don't think that's great for his development. And I don't think – you can't just have him run around the outfield when he's never played there before, and they've got productive outfielders. So it's a little different than Soto because the Nationals are trying to win, and Soto gives them the best chance to win. They needed outfield help. And the Blue Jays – I don't know if the Blue Jays know – are they contending or are they rebuilding? They're They're kind of caught in between. And I think until, you know, I mean, I think the optimal thing, I mean, there's no way they're winning the division with the Yankees and Red Sox. So you're playing for the second wild card at best. And at some point, if you could trade Josh Donaldson and get some players to help the farm system and then install Vlad Jr., I think that's what makes the most sense. As much as, and you guys know I love Vlad, I don't think you can just shoehorn him into the lineup as long as Josh Donaldson's there because he really does need to work on his defense. Um, you know, and you know, he might be destined to be a first baseman, but he's he's literally never played there. And Justin Smoke's having a decent year, so I, I don't think they're just going to say, "Here, Vlad, learn how to play first on the job." Yeah, that makes sense, and we'll see how long it takes. You would think eventually Josh Donaldson will be moved um, as this team. Even you said it. Even even if they hang in there a little bit, it's fighting for the second wild card, and you have to think big picture. I think the one other debut this week that I wanted to uh, mention was Willie Adamas of the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, the shortstop, the future shortstop of this organization. And he had a great debut as well. He came up in his first at-bat against Chris Sale. Welcome to the majors, kid. Uh, with a couple of runners on the corners and struck out. And kind of no surprise there. Chris Sale strikes out the kid in his first major league at-bat. But then he came back and faced Sale again in his next at-bat and homered off him. Um, pretty cool stuff to see that against a guy like Chris Sale. Um, talk about how ready he is right now, Jim, and, and he, is he now that he's made it to Tampa Bay, is he just set as their shortstop from here on out? Um, That's a good question. Yeah. I, mean, I think he's definitely ready. He, he spent all last year in AAA and had a solid year, and he went back there this year. And it's had an even better year, so I don't think there's really much left for him to work on. I'm not sure what they're going to do. You know, Hechevarria is on the DL with a right hamstring strain, um, so I'm not sure when he comes back, do they flip him over to, to second base, you know, Adamas, or, or, or how they're going to do that. They, you know, they also have, you know, Christian Arroyo who can play third, and Matt Duffy can move. So I, I think it, it remains to be seen whether this is going to be a, a long-term move or more of a short-term move. I mean, if it were me, and then the Rays haven't asked me, but if it were me, he's part of your future more than, than Hechevarria is. Or you know, I mean, he's definitely a much better hitter than Hechevarria, and he's at least as good defensively, so why not just let him have the job? But, you know, we'll have to see how the Rays decide to play that one. All right, and I spoke um, – I said that he was the last guy we would speak of, but that is not the case because uh. – uh, Jonathan has brought to my attention that I forgot about Austin Meadows and, and another guy who came up to the big leagues and right away hits a homer. Then he hit another one uh, on Tuesday night as well. Jonathan, I we always go to you for the pirate stuff, so it fits in nicely here with Austin Meadows. Now, this is a little different than the other two guys because Starling Marte's hurt and Meadows is filling that role. And so far, the pirates have been pretty clear that once Marte comes back, Meadows is probably heading back to the minor leagues. Yeah, I think so, because unless he's going to be playing every day, uh, there's no reason to for him, for him to, to be up. And the only way that would happen is if 
he played all three outfield positions and he moved, you know, to move around uh, every day. And that uh, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, I think what this does, though, is give them a, a comfort level. Uh, and he has shown that he, he belongs, uh, with the exception of a ill-conceived throw from the outfield last night. He has very much looked like a big leaguer uh, and has, has hit extremely well. Um, you know, eight for 21. You mentioned the two homers and a double to, to go along with it. He's played a solid center field. So uh, I think they know that even with all the time that he's missed developmentally because of injuries, uh, he, you know, he's ready. And it's the sort of refrain I've used with him that he, this guy who managed to seemingly take forever to get to the big leagues and yet be young for his level. Um, just because even though he kept getting hurt, he moved really quickly because he'd come back from injury and would just hit. Um, and, you know, he was performing decently in AAA, nothing spectacular. Uh, but he, he, he'd come up and, and really not been phased by, by any of it. And that will give him more confidence. I think he'll go back down, going to rake until, uh, until there's a need at the big league level again. All right, before we move on to our top 200 draft prospects list, we want to take a second to tell you about Yahoo Fantasy Baseball. Baseball season is in full swing, which means it's time to track your fantasy roster. Yahoo Fantasy Baseball has been rated number one by the Fantasy Sports Trade Association five years in a row, and one reason why is the Yahoo Fantasy app. The app will help you get the expert advice and analysis you need to make moves like a big league GM and crush your league. The app allows you to trade and manage your team right from your phone, Sign up by downloading the Yahoo Fantasy app or going to yahoo.com backslash fantasy baseball. Yahoo Fantasy Baseball, the official fantasy game of Major League Baseball. So the top 200 draft prospects list is out. Good job by you guys getting through that. I know that is a lot of work leading up to the draft now, about 10 days to go before. You guys will be back in New York getting the uh, the draft on MLB Network and, and a lot of excitement with that. Jim, you're the latest to put out a mock draft. Um, what's new, really, in the top ten? I mean, has there been much change over the last week since we, we did the last podcast? No, it doesn't feel like it, and that doesn't mean that, that things won't change. I, I just think that in some order, and, you know, it, you know, the order seems – we keep hearing the same order over and over again, but, you know, I think in some order, probably this one, it'll be Casey Mize to the Tigers – Joey Bart to the Giants, Alec Baum to the Phillies, I'd say Brady Singer to the White Sox, and Nick Madrigal to the Reds. And if it's not that order, I still think those five guys probably go in some order in the top five picks. And, you know, it just seems like a lot of status quo. And I think part of that is this is the weekend of conference tournaments, college conference tournaments. Scouts are really bearing down on a number of players, not just scouts, but cross-checkers and directors and front office officials. And after this weekend – they're going to, you know, get together early next week and really try to, you know, figure out exactly, you know, what they want to do with their first-round pick and so on. But there is not a lot of movement in terms of guys going in the top five or the top ten. I mean, you keep hearing the same names I heard two weeks ago and that Jonathan heard last week. So if someone was to jump into that top five, Jonathan, any guesses at what guy that's out of that group that Jim mentioned could find his way in there and surprise some people? You know, I guess, you know, if, 
A team wanted to partially save some money. Jared Kelnick could sneak into the top five. Um, you know, once upon a time, Travis Swaggerty's name was sort of popping up in the top five, but I, I haven't heard that much at all. You know, again, if uh, if Plan A doesn't work out, and then Plan B or Plan C comes into play, I guess you could see that. And then you know there. Are, you know, some of those high school arms uh, whose names are being mentioned, um, you know, in that in that top five, if a team wanted to try to work something out with, say, Carter Stewart or Cole Wynn, um, you know, uh, maybe Matt Libertor is, a, you know, another of the high school guys who is mentioned as a you know, almost definite top ten pick, um, I haven't heard his name in the top five really at all. Uh, would it shock me if suddenly he popped up there? No, but it just uh, is not something that I've heard much of, at least as of right now. One thing we haven't talked about as far as this draft goes is just straight tools. So I wanted to do that a little bit um, on both the hitting and pitching side. We're not going to go into every single tool, but but just off the top. All we'll 200 start. players, Tim, come on. Let's break down five tools, 200 players, 1,000 tools. Let's go now. Hey, in the initial email about this, I did list that, and it seemed like <laughs> you guys didn't want to do that. So I want to break down 1,000 tools in order from 1 to 1,000. You, you know what? Why don't you record that on your own, Jim? Yeah. And then um, send it in. Send that in. We'll do append it to the end of this podcast. The addendum. All right. So let's start with the bats. And I just want hit tool. And I'll start with you, Jim. Who's the best hit tool in this draft? I think it's clearly Nick Madrigal of Oregon State, second baseman. Uh, you know, we mentioned he's going to go in the top five somewhere. Uh, you know, I think if you talk to people just in terms of, of not even just tools, but in terms of player, I think he's the best player in college baseball. I think that would be the consensus. You know, he missed half this season with a hand injury, and he's come back and he's hitting 435, you know, probably a little bit less in full health. Uh, I, I think he's got probably the highest floor of anybody in this draft. And he's got a pretty high ceiling too, but he just he he makes contact. And what's nice about him too is, you know, for a, a five foot seven middle infielder, he's not just a little slappy guy. He's not. You know, I don't want. I, I get annoyed. You know, people all oh, five foot seven second baseman Jose Altuve. No, we're not going to see Nick Madrigal hit thirty homers, but he does have gap power, and I could see him being a twelve to fifteen home run guy, and and he can run too. So I, I think. You know, I don't know how you feel, Jonathan, but but Nick Madrigal seems like he's the obvious choice in that category. Yeah, he is. Uh, I think it's uh, uh, no doubt about it. And yeah, it, it's easy to make that comp with you know insert small second baseman uh, here. Uh, yeah, the one thing that I, I sort of get uh, a little ornery about is when he's not descri- when he, you know, he's not thought of as an impact bat. Um, you know, I had an inbox question that. Uh, for some reason, the you know, guy had seen the Phillies mentioned with Nick Madrigal, and I went and looked to make sure that, you know, I think I had Madrigal going to the Phillies in the very first mock, and I have not seen that association anywhere since. But the, the, the part that bothered me is, like, why would they want someone like Nick Madrigal, and, and shouldn't they go after an impact bat instead? And I was like, well, I think you need to sort of broaden your horizons as to what impact means. He, he's not going to hit 30 homers, as you said, but, boy, can he really hit. And uh, to me, uh, 
that's sort of the no doubt about it uh, bat. Uh, if you want to sort of pick best high school hitter, uh, I think we both think Jared Kelnick, uh, who I mentioned briefly uh, from Wisconsin, is probably the best pure high school bat in the country, uh, but just doesn't quite measure up to, to what Magical's done, uh, you know, both in terms of the numbers and the track record. Assuming that that Phillies fan meant a power bat as an impact bat, Jonathan, who has the biggest power in this draft? Well, he did. Yeah, that is what he meant because he mentioned Alec Baum from from Wichita State, who would not be my pick. Um, you know, I I think I probably would go. There's there are two high schoolers that that I I would think of, and I think Nolan Gorman is probably the guy who has the most power. Um, and it, it'll be very interesting to see sort of where he goes. He had a really really good summer, um, won a bunch of home run derbies. But you know, more importantly than that, the power was showing up against good competition in games. Uh, you know, over the course of the summer, it was just home run derbies. That's it, that's really good, uh, and it's worth noting. Uh, but if he's not getting to that power in games, then it, it's not nearly as meaningful. And um, you know, this spring has been a little bit more up and down for him. He has not been pitched to a whole heck of a lot uh, in in Arizona. Uh, that hasn't helped, uh, but I still think there are enough people who think that he can get to that power enough that he's going to be a you know a top half of the first round pick. So Jim, that's a high school guy. How about on the the college side of things and power? Um, I think the consensus on the college side would be Alec Baum, uh, Wichita State, who. I think every mock draft for the last month has him going number three to the Phillies, like Jonathan kind of alluded to. Um, I think you'd have him in that discussion, and I think uh, Trevor Larnick from Oregon State would be in that discussion. You might have gathered now that we've mentioned two Beavers, that they have a pretty good team this year, um, like they did last year. Um, although at 42-9, and nine, their winning percentage is actually down from a year ago. Um, and then Brent Spillane of Illinois would probably be in that discussion as well. Those, those would be the three, I think, college guys at the top of that, that power potential list. All right, let's switch over to the pitching side of things, and I'll start with you on this one, Jonathan. We're going to do fastball and then secondary stuff, but we'll start with you on the fastball side. Who has the top tool fastball in this draft? Yeah, there's no Hunter Green this year uh, in terms of like the guy throwing triple digits consistently, although I guess he didn't pitch a ton in high school. But, uh, again, it's a high schooler, Ethan Hankins, uh, is the guy who has thrown consistently the hardest previously. The one caveat is that he went down with a minor shoulder issue. Um, he did come back. The velocity was starting to creep back up, uh, but he is a you know, guy who hits upper 90s uh, fairly easily, and I think he will be able to continue to do so. Uh, so to me, he is, he is the guy uh, that there sort of stands out with the with the biggest fastball in this class. Who's someone else, Jim? Yeah, and I was just going to add in on Hankins. I don't even think it's the velocity that's the most impressive part of the fastball. I think he's got the most electric life on the fastball too that that helps it play up. Um, but he but he would be my choice as well. <clears throat> Beyond him, I think you know you'd be looking at guys like Shane McClanahan, who, who's got the best lefty fastball. In this draft, he's been up to 100 multiple times. He was up to 98 at the AAC tournament on Wednesday. Um, another high school guy, JT Ginn, 
uh, is a real interesting guy. He's not the the biggest guy in, in the world, but he has maybe he might have the best one-two punch uh, of any of these guys in terms of just pure st- you know fastball slider. Both of those are, are pretty wipeout pitches. And and then kind of my my personal favorite that I've been waiting for this guy to sign because he's fascinated me for years. But you know Bryce Montesteoka at Missouri's got a a long medical history and not a long track record of throwing strikes. But when he's on. He can hit 100, and it's probably 80 life on the fastball. I mean, guys talk about a, a bowling ball sinker. It, it's a bowling ball sinker at 100 miles an hour. So he doesn't do it consistently, but he'd probably be the guy that, that maybe people haven't heard the most about who can can really blow you away with a fastball. All right, Jim, how about secondary stuff? Obviously, you can go a lot of different directions here um, with what kind of pitch you like, but who has the best, if you had to pick one pitch other than a fastball, who has the best secondary tool? Well, you know me. I cannot pick just one, so I'm going to mention two. Um, uh, I think the most unhittable pitch in this draft Cheater. might be, you know me, It's uh, I'm, I'm selfish that way, but uh, the most unhittable pitch in the draft I think might be Casey Mize's split changeup that is just ridiculous. Nobody can touch that thing, and it makes his plus fastball and plus slider play up even more, as does his ability to put his stuff wherever he wants. And you know, I think right behind that would probably be Carter Stewart's curveball, which is, I, I think, has the highest spin rates that TrackMan's ever recorded at all these high school showcase events. It, it's, a, it's a really wipeout curve. So I think you could take your pick between those two. Jonathan, do you have someone else to pick? No, because Jim took two took guys. Come on, you can mention <laughs> Griffin Roberts' slider. I left that one out there for you. I don't want to mention Griffin Roberts' slider. His slider is pretty good, though. Yeah, if you're going to pick a slider, his his is the best. Um, Tim Kate, the lefty from UConn, has a really, really good breaking ball, but be, he's been hurt uh, and just came back and didn't have a feel for it, uh, mostly because, you know, that's often the tough thing to come back from. But uh, Kate sort of stands out because he's got this plus, you know, almost plus-plus breaking ball, and the rest of the stuff is just sort of okay. You know, Stewart and Mize have really good repertoires overall. Um, particularly Mize, you know, Kate kind of stands out because he's this pitchability lefty happens to have this tremendous curveball. So uh, in terms of separation between other stuff and, and, and the breaking pitch, uh, I'll give Kate the nod for that. All right. So as you guys expanded this list to 200 players, obviously it kind of broadens the scope of everything. And, and most of those players are already on the radar and all of that. But it gives you a chance to just kind of look at the overall picture again. Jim, did somebody from that that second 100 that you added or somebody that jumped into the 100 in this this new setup um, stand out to you as somebody that's really got some helium going right now? Um, you know, I don't necessarily think there was anybody on the top 100. I mean, we adjusted a couple guys up, you know, here and there, like Jake McCarthy and Alec Thomas, but I don't, I don't think anybody burst up that list into the top 10 or 20. I, I'm just looking at this, and then the lowest ranked guy in our current top 20 from the previous version was Logan Gilbert, who was at number 26, and his velocity had gone down and it's back up. So there, there, there isn't that out-of-nowhere super helium guy who who jumped in there like we had when we updated the list in April and you had guys like you know Jordan Adams that was coming off the the crazy NHSI that put him on everybody's consciousness. I think if I'm not mistaken the highest ranked guy who was not on the previous 100 
is Trey Riley, a uh, right-hand pitcher from John A. Logan Community College uh, up here in Illinois, who, who comes in at number 77. And he was a guy who could have made the top 100. Um, I kind of, you know, with the JUCO guys, like to see if they kind of keep it up over the course of the spring, and he has. Um, he's a guy who, who can you know, get up to 97 miles an hour with his fastball and pitches at 92, 95, and, and has one of the best sliders in this draft, too. Not quite on that short list of the very best, but, but not too far down that list. It's, it's a plus slider. You know, and he's a guy who, who might even go in the second round. So Trey Riley really was the guy who, who kind of from the out-of-nowhere uh, group, or not out-of-nowhere group, but off the top 100 group, made the biggest jump onto the current list. Jonathan, do you have somebody? You know, it's funny that, you know, Jim and I split up the country, and, uh, you know, the guys that were sort of in, in my bucket did not make, like, no one jumped from off the 100 on onto the top 100. Um, I guess the guy who probably made the biggest jump for me was Jake McCarthy from University of Virginia, and he was at 60, and, and we, we moved him up to 40. Uh, and, you know, he was a you know good, uh, good college performer. Some folks might remember his older brother, um, Jake uh, Joe, who had been uh, drafted by the Rays. Uh, Jake is is more athletic. He's speedy. He you know, can play center field. He just was uh, hurt um, and missed the first bunch of the season he's come back and sort of finished the season more than anything uh, showing that he was fully healthy and was swinging the bat well and that's why he moved up uh, to me i think the only other guy that like sort of uh, you know mine that has like a, a fairly large up arrow uh, even though we we only moved him up uh nine spots xavier edwards the shortstop high school shortstop from florida is kind of an undersized guy ultra athletic really really speedy has um, swung the bat well this spring, uh, but more than anything else, he's proven that not only can he stay on the infield, but he, he is a surefire shortstop uh, in, in most people's eyes. Uh, I, I, he had had a good summer. I think some people weren't sure whether or not he'd stick it short. Maybe he'd be a second baseman. Maybe he'd be one of those guys that would be best suited moving out to center. Uh, he's looked really good at short, and and so that has raised his profile uh, because suddenly now you're looking at a, a top-of-the-order catalyst who can play a premium position. All right, the draft is coming up June 4th to the 6th. That's a Monday to a Wednesday on MLB Network, also streamed on MLB.com. Make sure you check it out in that first night now with the uh, expanded Major League schedule this season with more off days. They've managed to really scale down the slate of Major League games, and I think that'll put a nice focus on the draft as well. Uh, There's just a few West Coast games that day, but not a lot of baseball overall. So the draft will really take center stage. It's going to be a lot of fun. Jonathan and Jim will be a huge part of the coverage as always on MLB network and MLB.com. So definitely check that out. That'll do it for this edition of the pipeline podcast for Jim and Jonathan. I'm Tim McMaster. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story and one of the best 
stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.